Let's pray together. Father, I praise you and thank you for the truths we're about to look at. And I pray you'd open our eyes to them. And I pray, God, that we would actually be people who are doers of the word and not hearers only. And we would experience the life of blessing. God, I pray for healing to happen as we look at this. I pray that, that people who have been hurt through the things we're about to look at would come alive in amazing ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in the midst of a study of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus begins it by saying that he wants us to be a blessed person. The Greek word is mikurios, and what Jesus said is there are eight attitudes that we have in our life we will be happy, blessed people. And that's what God wants for us because he loves us. And then we got to the whole point last week where Jesus began to talk about how we live in relationship with other people. And what he says there, what he teaches there, is that if we don't do what we're supposed to do, if we do the opposite of what God calls us to, the, the right way of living, then it leads to a curse. God's desire is we be blessed. The worst thing that can happen is to come under a life that literally is a life of despair, a life of loneliness, a life of hurt, a life that's cursed. And so last week I said, if we live the life the way God wants us to, then we experience the truth and the promise of Psalm 133. And what does that Psalm say? It says, behold, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And then it begins to talk about the whole idea. It's a spirit-filled life. It's a life of revitalization and invigoration. And God says, if you would listen to me and do what I want you to do and love people this way and live in holiness, you're going to experience life like that. It's going to be good and it's going to be pleasant. But then God also is warning us something. Jesus is warning us something. He's saying, if you don't live the life I want you to have, you're going to be cursed. We could have the blessed life or the cursed life. And, and what's the great curse that we're finding so many people experiencing today? Because they violate the words of Jesus. It, it's, it's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Now, it's good and pleasant when we dwell together in unity. It's not good. In other words, it's painful. It's hurtful. It causes depression and despair. And it takes away the invigoration. It weighs us down when we're alone and lonely. Now, I want you to think about this. What Jesus is saying in the three sections we're looking at last week, this week, and next week, is he says, don't be filled with anger. Don't be insulting. Don't be demeaning. Don't be, be reviling. And why? Because it causes literal hell to be unleashed within our life. In other words, we push people away. We harm people. And we ourselves become amazingly lonely people. Uh, I know it was some years back that um, Pam and I got into a fight and I, man, I lost it. I, I was so upset. I was so angry that I stormed out the door. And, and, and I think she was shocked. And I just hit that car and I took off driving and I was mad and I was upset. And now she's sitting alone in the house crying. And I drove down to the Irvine Spectrum and I'm walking around not even sure what I want to do. And I don't even know what I feel in the moment. I'm churning with anger inside. And I remember I bought a ticket to an IMAX theater and went and sat in there. I can't even tell you what I saw. But I can tell you this, I was lonely. I sat there mad, hurt, upset. She's, Pam's back at our house with our two kids saying, what happened to dad? And they're crying and hurt and upset. Do you catch what I'm saying? Whenever we do that, we invite a curse into our life. And so that's why Jesus said, I'm telling you, don't get angry. I'm telling you, don't call someone stupid. 
I'm telling you, don't even say they're a fool. Why? Because when you do that, you're guilty to the fires of hell. Now, Jesus is going to take us on another way to say, I don't want you to be cursed. We're going to understand that there's a one word that literally brings a curse upon a land and curse upon a family and curse in relationships and curse on the person who does it. And it creates loneliness and despair. And that's a word called adultery. And adultery is painful. And, and adultery hurts. And adultery causes us to not be in a great relationship or even a good relationship with God and others. And whenever we see that happen in a life, what we find is amazing pain. Um, Sandra Bullock found that out. You know, she was at a place in her life that she always wanted to be. Uh, acting became her profession. Uh, she made lots and lots of money in movies. But I remember reading in different interviews where she actually talked about the fact that she was waiting for the day when she would be taken seriously for her craft, seriously as a real actress, not just the pretty girl, not just in the funny movies, but someone who could seriously, seriously move people to emotions. And so what does she do? She's in a movie called The Blind Side, and she wins the Best Actress Oscar of acclaim from all her peers. And so what does she do the next morning? Instead of waking up and seeing pictures of how beautiful she looked and watching her acceptance speech and watching people rave about how good she was, instead she woke up the next morning with the airwaves filled with the story that her husband was committing adultery on her. Pictures of the girl were being sought out. People weren't looking for pictures of Sandra Bullock in her dress accepting the Oscar. They were searching the country to show the pictures of the women who had replaced her in her husband's bed. And all of a sudden, all the acclaim and all of the, the moments of satisfaction and the times of celebration in. And, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to bet that instead of the parties and the fun, she sat alone hurting and pain and feeling alone and humiliated because of adultery. It does that. Too often, life imitates art. And uh, I think it's sad, and many of you already know this, that she years ago made a movie called Hope Floats, which a lot of people were thinking might have given her that shot at Best Actress. And in it, she played a woman whose husband was cheating on her, was having an affair, was committing adultery with one of her best friends. And uh, I think that what we want to do is have you see a scene that shows what adultery does. We don't want to miss. It's not just a word. It, it's, a, uh, it's a chainsaw that, that maims people and ruins lives. And so watch this. Daddy. Bernice, what do you think you're doing? I'm going with you. Honey, that's impossible. But I'm going with you. No, you've got to stay here with your mama. Bertie, you going to help me out here? You told me you wanted me with you, remember? Listen, honey, I've got to go. Now, don't do this to yourself, okay? Don't make a scene. Now go on back inside. Go ahead. Stop it, Daddy! 
Bernice. You know I'd take you with me if I could. You can! Try to understand, baby. Connie and I, we need this time to ourselves to try to make a go of it. Then I'll come back for you. I promise, I no. promise, I promise. Now go on inside, please. You want me? You wrote in the letter. Wait. Let me in. You want me. I'll always want you, Bernice. You're my little princess. No. But your mom and she needs you. No. And you need her. No, I don't need you. I love you, princess. Please. I gotta go. I, um, I spent the early years of my ministry, actually most of the years of my ministry being a youth pastor, and I cannot tell you how many times I, I sat with students who were going through that. I remember walking into a, a front yard and looking over at a tree and seeing a high school guy who was big and strong and tough and any other situation sitting there crumbling and crying his eyes out because he found out his dad had committed adultery. And he was so hurt and so, so wounded. I've sat with girls. I've sat with guys. It doesn't matter. The pain is too real. And, and when it occurs, there's a humiliation. There's a sense of betrayal, a sense of being thrown aside and tossed aside. And in the midst of it all, it's all fueled by a huge lie or lies so that now nothing's real. And uh, Solomon probably was more aware of the pain of adultery maybe than anybody. In all the Bible, no one wrote more on adultery than he did. Nobody attacked it more than Solomon did. And uh, every time I read a, a, a saying of Solomon, I think that the reason he probably did this is because he walked around always being marked and known as the son of the woman that David committed adultery with. Because you know that David actually committed adultery against one of his best friends and one of his most trusted soldiers, a mighty man. And he turned and took his wife without telling him and tried to deceive him. And in the midst of it, she became pregnant and he had, he had his friend murdered to cover it up. The baby miscarried, but the next child born would be Solomon. And um, Solomon says these words in Proverbs 9, verses 16 to 18. Whoever is naive, let him turn in here into a place of adultery. And to him who lacks sense and understanding, she says, it's the woman who wants to commit adultery. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, they, it looks so good, it feels so good in the moment. But notice what Solomon says by the inspiration of God. But she does not know that the dead live there and that her guests are in the depths of hell hell comes. Just as anger becomes a place to invite hell into our life, so does adultery and lust. And it's a pain and it's a burning, burning fueled fire that devours and devours everybody. Solomon said in Proverbs 6, 32 and 33, and think about this written from a man from his perspective. He says, the one who commits adultery with the woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find 
and his reproach will not be blotted out. In other words, it's always going to be remembered at some point brought up again. The children I'm telling you about, did they go on in life? Yes, but nothing was the same. And by the way, if you're a person who's done this to your kids, I want to tell you while God can heal, but man, it, there, it's, there's something that stays with it. If you are even getting close to this, let me tell you, the pain that you're going to cause can hurt you, your spouse, and everybody around you. But if there's kids involved, they'll never be the same. And uh, God says you lack sense when you do this. You invite hell when you do it. You bring reproach that will never be taken away. And God says, don't do that. Don't do it. In Matthew 5, 27 to 30 is where we need to be in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. And throw it from you, for it is better to lose one eye or one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. Now notice that. What Jesus is saying is doing this, lusting and committing adultery can cause you to be going to hell. The sin of anger, the sin of lust actually says that God would judge you to the point of hell. Now before we read on, I want to remind you that in Matthew chapter 4, Verse 17, if you look back, it it talks about what happened after Jesus was filled with the Spirit and began to preach. And it says says in chapter 4, verse 17, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, why am I bringing this up here? Because last week we saw, he says, The anger can eat you alive and literally cause God to judge you to the point that you would deserve hell. And here he says, Adultery and lust can cause you to be judged to literally go to hell. He's so avoided at all costs. And you know what Jesus is saying is, I'm calling you to repent and come to the kingdom of God and come to a better way of living. That's the message of Jesus. Don't miss it. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The words of Jesus are avoid this. Yet this problem, this This um, horrible disease that's epidemic in our society right now. The Janus Report says on sexual behavior that one-third of men and one-quarter of women have had an affair. Uh, uh, Think of what that means. Think of what it means that one-third of all all married men and one-quarter, 25% of all married women have actually committed adultery. They've had affairs. They've lied and they've carried out an, uh, an adulterous lifestyle. Think what it means if you're a Christian. Now, I want you to say that again. What if it's someone who says they're a Christian or are a Christian? 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? That your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? What Paul is saying is that when we join with someone physically, we're bringing Jesus into that situation in a very real way. My body, your body belongs to the Lord. And he says, knowing that, would you take that, knowing you're inviting Jesus and causing Jesus to be a part of this, that you would force him into a situation of adultery or of immorality. So think about it, Christian. It's not just a sin that you're doing. It's a sin that you're causing the Lord himself to be pulled into that kind of unholy state. Verse, uh, it goes on to say, may it never be. Verse 16, or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. 
but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, flee immorality. And every, man, every sin that a man commits is outside of the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. He says we need to treat our bodies with care and holiness. And if someone's a Christian and they do this, it says it's literally taking the, the members of Christ and forcing that to happen. Imagine, imagine the, the view God has of someone who says, I want to be one with you, Lord, and causes this to occur. So Jesus says you shall not commit adultery. It's the seventh of the Ten Commandments that we would not commit adultery following right after murder. And again, in 1 Corinthians 6, look up the verses 9 and 10. And it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived, he says. And I want to tell you that I think that I and a lot of the pastors who are crossroads will agree with this. Actually, I know we will. Man, it's tearing us apart. Uh, because I'm, we're hearing something said I have never heard before. In my first years of ministry being a pastor, I encountered people who committed adultery. And almost in every occasion, they sat before me broken and crying and begging God for forgiveness. Today, we have found people who've committed adultery sitting in our offices here and in other churches across this country. And I'm appalled to tell you, they look us in the eye and they actually will say that they're okay with God. I, not just one, I've had more than per, one person sit before me and, and I said, do you understand where you're at with the Lord? And they'll look at me and go, well, no, I, I mean, I know what I did was wrong, but you know, God and I are fine. No, don't be deceived. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want to say this again. If you're sitting here right now, you go, but I'm a Christian. Do not be deceived. Adulterers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You better repent. You better stop. You better put an end to it. And by the way, Jesus says not just adultery, but lust. He says, you've heard not to commit adultery. He's saying, I don't want you to even look it on somebody and lust after them. You see, we need to understand that to God, these are great evils. These are horrible evils. In Genesis 39, uh, uh, Joseph, when he was about to be tempted and called into an amazingly horrible, adulterous sin, he said, how could I ever do this great evil and sin against God? And we need to understand to God, sexual immorality and adultery is a great evil, not just an evil, a great evil. And we need to do everything we can to avoid it and flee from it and run from it and not be caught up in it. And instead of that happening, we have people paying for it. I mean, that's what's almost the killer of it. Pornography now is literally a pandemic across this world. As a matter of fact, we know we live in a world where $97 billion a year is spent on pornography. $97 billion a year. And we could feed the world and provide medicine to the world for $97 billion. But instead, people are doing something abominable to God, which I think makes it a worse abomination. And we're watching people get involved in horrible ways. As a matter of fact, today's Christian woman did a, a survey of their readers and found out that 34% of their female readers were intentionally accessing internet porn. 34% of Christian women who read a Christian magazine were confessing to this. The scary thing is you've got to think that many women are doing and not confessing it. 
As a matter of fact, um, today's Christian woman also came out and said that one out of six women who are Christians are actually addicted to pornography. Jesus said it's a sin. It's a great evil. And we should be fleeing from it and not a part of it. And yet we see people, instead of fleeing, they're paying for it. And by the way, the cost is great. One of the great problems of pornography, among many others, the addiction of it, the inability to have a a healthy sex life. And I want to say that again. If you're caught up in that, it will not help your sex life. It ruins it. It actually causes you not to have a healthy one. And couples who feel, oh, we need this to have a good sex life, they, they... you need to understand that shows a problem and it doesn't help. And uh, what we need to understand is it creates a desensitization towards what's holy, what's right, what's good. And it affects every single area of our lives. It never stops just there. And as it gets implanted in the mind, it gets very difficult to erase. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 15, 18 and 19 said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. In other words, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slander. And the Lord says, you know what? I want your heart to be pure. I want your heart to be cleansed. And he says, but if you've got these things implanted in your heart, it's going to take root. And that's going to defile us. And the Lord's great call is for us not to live that lonely life. And by the way, that's what it does to couples. That's what it does to people. The adultery, the lust, the pornography, the immorality. It doesn't create healthy relationships. It doesn't give birth to bonding and connection. As a matter of fact, it causes us to become disconnected, not only from people, but God too. Because God warns in Isaiah, he goes, My hand is not so short I cannot save, nor is my ear deaf that I cannot hear, but your sins have made a separation between me and you. Now, we need to understand nobody is right with God. Be ye not deceived. And if you're involved in it, you need to flee from it as fast as you can. And that's why Jesus warns that we need to do whatever we can to get away from it. That's why he says in verse 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. The English Standard Version says, gouge it out. He says, I don't even want you to take time to get surgery. I don't want you to ease into it. I would even want an anesthetic and provide it. This is such a big deal. It calls for an extreme measure literally rip it from you and make sure it's as far from you as you can now obviously very obviously jesus is just trying to make a very intense point tearing out your eye cutting off your hand is not going to stop pornography the reality is we need to look at what does the defilement of the heart and keep our hearts away from it job understood this when in job 31 1 he said i have made a covenant with my eyes how could i gaze at a virgin Now, what does he mean? Could he not look at a girl? No, he could look at a young girl. But he said, I'm not going to stare intently at her. I made a covenant with my eyes not to be attracted to the wrong thing and to allow the wrong thoughts to be uh, uh, happening and and, and awakened within my mind. And that's why Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.22, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all those with all those who call upon the Lord with a pure heart. Not a defiled heart. Not a heart filled with sin and adulterous thoughts. He says, I want you to flee from that. And I want you to have a pure heart. And I want you to be with those who call upon the Lord. And the Lord answers. Why? Because there's not a separation between us and Him. We have to take action when it comes to this. 
We have to take clear action. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20, it says, Now flee immorality. Every other sin a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Now, why am I reading that again? Because notice it says, flee youthful lust, flee immorality. Know that this hurts you. It's, it's literally, the Bible says, a double sin. Because it's not just what happens in your mind. It's taking your body and inviting it to. That's why it's called a great evil. And he says, flee from that. The minute we find ourselves beginning to look with lust upon someone, run as fast as you can. Start praying. Start calling out to God. And by the way, I believe prayer is the best battle to use against lust. You know, if you and uh, I or any of us look at someone and all of a sudden you're tempted to have that thought, the first thing you do is literally turn and make sure you're not looking anymore. Get your gaze away and start to say, Lord, you know, I know where my mind was going, but I know this. I know you're a God who's called me to live an amazing life. And, and then you begin to thank God for what's in your life and praise God. And you just shift your mind completely and you fill it with prayer and you fill it with praise and you fill it with purity and you flee from the lust and you make sure that what you're doing is fulfilling what, uh, what, what Timothy was told by Paul, that you pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace. And you pray and fill your mind with those things. Believe it or not, it is the best weapon you can use. And the more we use it, the more we do it, the more we find ourselves strengthened against the kind of onslaught that the world can bring against us. So what we need to do is we need to say, God, I know that my body's your temple. I know I bought at a price. I know I'm not my own. And I need to do this with you and for you. That needs to be your great desire. We've got to be careful when it comes to the internet. When he says, gouge it out and cast it from you. If you find yourself not able to turn on your computer without being lured to sites, then what should you do? Maybe you need to stop the internet. Or maybe you need to get a new computer. Or maybe you need to at least try the software like triplexchurch.com where you create accountability. And you know, I want to tell you, I don't think you can go too far or ever go too far in making sure you're very, very accountable to what you're looking at on your computer and that people could know. As a matter of fact, it's a scary thing that there, there's even things that are not um, outwardly pornography that are luring people into horrible situations. As a matter of fact, Mark Keenan of Divorce Online says that 20% of divorces cite the beginning of the divorce was caused by Facebook. Now, Facebook in and of itself is not necessarily going to have pictures like that. They do everything they can to avoid it. But what they're finding is people are getting on Facebook they're reacquainting themselves with, with old friends or old girlfriends or meeting up with someone. They're starting to sponsor a relationship. It, it starts out virtual, but that's the danger. It starts in the mind. And then they begin to, to uh, start a, an emotional attachment to somebody they shouldn't. And maybe they get into in talking ways they shouldn't. And, and, and it just, just keeps, and God says, don't do it. And if you find that being your downfalls, you shouldn't even be on Facebook. Obviously. Um, I can't even believe I'm going to have to say this one, but I am. If you're a woman here, you should never go to a club dancing if your husband's not with you, and maybe not at all. Uh, to me, it just makes so much sense. You would think it would never have to be said. But I'm going to go ahead and say it again because it's a problem. If you're a woman married to a man, engaged to a man, or in a relationship, don't be so foolish to start going to clubs and places of drinking and think that you're not going to get burned. And don't go, oh, we're just going to have fun. If you're a Christian, seek the light. 
be in the places of light. Avoid the darkness. Flee from it. Never allow that to happen. If you're married, never spend time alone with someone of the opposite sex. I mean, just don't do it. And, and make sure you're never doing it for a, a great period of time. Billy Graham and, and his ministry team made a covenant to do that years ago. They've never violated it. And you know what? Today we look at Billy Graham and we, we, we think he's an honorable man. He's a hero. People who stick to the right thing, then guess what? We consider them heroes. Uh, if you're married and you truly love the person God has blessed you with, by the way, it's not even a choice. If you're married, God commands you to truly love the person you're married to. Do it. Just throw yourself into it. But you know what? Here, if you're not feeling like you really love them, then know you're in danger. And rather than allow yourself to get caught up in something to ease the loneliness and the pain, because I think maybe there's nothing more lonely than to be married and to know the person who you're with doesn't love you or care about you or you don't want to be with them. And it makes laying in bed feel like one of the scariest, saddest, most despairing places to be. It's like darkness settles and, and the loneliness fills. And you know what God, God wants you to get help. Try to get your partner, if they won't agree, to get help. Pray and pray and pray that they'll agree. And, and don't let it go. One of the biggest reasons for spouses beginning to get involved in lust and, and affairs is not necessarily seeking the sex, it's seeking connection. And by the way, if you do that, you're not going to find true connection. You may think you are. It's what Solomon mourned. They, they, it, it sounds so stolen, you know, it, stolen moments are sweet, but they're not. But the problem is you were looking for connection and God wants you to find the connection with the person you're married to. And if you're feeling a disconnect, you're going to try to have to get the message across. I don't feel connected to you. I don't feel intimate to you. And and you need to work that out. Um, If you're not sexually active with the person you're married to, know that that's not okay. And by the way, you should not be getting by with it. Uh, Don't learn to just cope. Get help. Get help. And, and, and God actually commands us to not ever stop being intimate with the person we're married to. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, never ever have a time of depriving one another. And so I guess this is going to sound crazy, but the God is saying, That if you're married, you need to be sexually active together to make it something you enjoy. And enjoy it together and give that gift to each other. I uh, found something very interesting. When I was ministering to students, I felt like I was spending about 70% of my time trying to say to students and to singles who aren't married, don't get involved sexually. And you know, I got to tell you that when I first shifted over into doing adult ministry, especially with married couples, I feel like I'm spending a huge percentage of my time saying, be sexually active together. And uh, I guess the most important thing I can say is God's calling that. It's a command of God. It's a sin not to be, but it's worse. It creates disconnection. And God's gift to a married couple is their sexual intimacy. And that needs to be something we never let go of so that we have the center focus. The only focus of our, our, our intimate thoughts is the person we're married to. 
If you're single, Jesus said it clearly. Don't look upon someone to lust after them. Don't allow that to happen. Don't put yourself in the position to be tempted. Don't indulge in this. And by the way, I, I, I could spend all my time on this topic alone, but I'm going to just say one thing and then we'll move on. If you're single and you think you can get involved in premarital sex and then after you get married, all of a sudden you're going to start having a holy lifestyle in that area, you're crazy. And I'm not kidding. And you need to think about it. Why do you think that all of a sudden, the minute we say husband and wife or pronounce you man and wife, that all of a sudden now you're going to have these holy attitudes in this area? When you've had a whole time of making sure and practice unholiness, you think all of a sudden you're going to be pure? It's not going to happen. And as a matter of fact, the reason a lot of couples are struggling today who are married is because they were inappropriate sexually before they got married. And they brought all those bad habits and all that impurity within their relationship. And if you're here and you're single and you're dating someone else, I want to tell you, if you're, you need to stop, if you're involved in that, you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to seek God. You need to go to somebody you can trust, say, hold us accountable. And you need to confess what you've done and ask God to help you build health, a healthy relationship. If you're single and you're not with somebody, then right now more than ever, you ought to say, God, if I've done that, forgive me. Forgive me. And I'm not going to say it's okay. And God, I want to start having a healthy attitude and healthy relationships. See, Jesus said it's better to do whatever you need to do. It's better to be completely single. It's better to, to never, ever turn on that computer. It's better to never go into that environment than it is for your whole body to go to hell. Jesus is warning about this out of love. He could not be more loving in what he's saying. He could not be more caring. What you have is a loving God who's looking at you saying, not just try to resist, not just try to hold your own. He's saying, flee from this. Why? Because he loves us. And when God starts and yells the word flee, it's because it's something we need to do and get away from. Uh, when my... Uh, a uh, little son, Tim, uh, was very, very small. Uh, he was walking towards a hot stove. And as he reached out his hand, I could see what was about to happen. He was going to get burned. And I, I want to tell you, I was clear across the room. And what I didn't do, I didn't go, hey, Timmy, Timmy. No, I stood up and go, no. And he turned and he started to cry. And I think he probably thought in that moment I was the meanest parent ever. But what was it? I wasn't yelling out of anger. I was yelling out of an almost panicked desire to see my son not be burned. And you know what God's saying here? Flee. Jesus is saying, don't you know this could cost you the fires of hell? Don't you know you're going to get burned? Solomon said, I've seen it happen. And we need to understand that it's God's love that says this. And God has the ability to heal us from it. In 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says that about the idea, don't be deceived. Adulterers do not inherit the kingdom of God or fornicators. It says, such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. Notice the whole Trinity is mentioned here. That when you, any of us who've ever been doing that, if you say, well, if I'm doing that, will I go to hell? You will if you don't turn to God. But if you do turn to God, if you do say, you know what, there's no more. I would never as a Christian take a holy God and, and make him be a part of anything like this. And the fact I've done that causes my stomach to churn and mourn. God, please comfort me. And it says the whole power of the Trinity is going to enter that situation to love you and cleanse you. Such were you and make you never that person again. 
If, if you're not a Christian and you say, well, you know what, what, what does that mean to me? God says, if you would turn to me, then the whole power of the triune God would come upon you to cleanse you and to change you. And he's not even going to see you as that person anymore. He's going to see you as clean and forgiven and, and, and beautiful and pure. And all of the health that needs to be restored emotionally and spiritually inside you so you can relationally be pure and healthy is going to be given to you by God. And if you're someone here who's been wounded by this, I want to tell you what God's saying to you. The power of God can come into your life so you're not that wounded person anymore. And he wants it for you. See, it's not out of anger. It's not out of meanness that Jesus says, don't you know what this will cost you? It's out of love. I think maybe the most famous story about Jesus in all the Bible might be in John chapter 8. Jesus was there and all of a sudden, The Pharisees bring a woman and they say, we caught her in the very act of adultery and they throw her at his feet and says, Moses' law commands that she be stoned. What do you say? Now, Jesus could have debated them on the law because actually Deuteronomy 22, 22 says, if someone's caught in the adultery in the very act, you're to bring the man and the woman to stone. So having just her there literally means that you should not do it. It, it. It breaks the law to stone. Jesus could have done that. He could have said, you know, you've got the law wrong and let's debate the law. And he could have, he didn't. He could have picked up a, a rock and said, you know, you're right. This, you caught her in the act, let's kill her. He could have done that. Um, most of you already know what he did instead is he knelt down and began to write on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but we know that it says that from the moment he caught their attention, he stood up and said, let him who was without sin cast the first stone. And uh, then he wrote on the ground again. And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. And he was left alone with her. Now, I don't know this for sure, but there's a question you got to ask. Where were the apostles? They were with him always. Was this the one occasion he was alone when the crowd came? And I would say the more likely is no. I, I, it's just we got to wonder. I'm going to say that the odds that at least some of the 12 apostles were there was pretty good. And they were also some who had stones in their hands and dropped them and walked away. And, and if you think that seems like out there to believe, let me tell you, I've seen a lot of Christians pick up stones and throw them at each other. When we should remember that Jesus said it's only he without sin that stepped through that. And Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? She says, there are none, Lord. He says that I'm not going to accuse you. But then he said this, go and sin no more. Now, I want to say this for you and for me, for all of us. Let's make an agreement. If we have something like that in our life, no more. If we're doing that, no more. And I'm going to do what I need to do to end any immorality, any lustful, attitudes, any indulgence in it, any actively being a part of it, I'm going to put an end to it. If I have to make confession, I will, and no more. I'll do the most extreme thing I can to find myself in the hands of God. And that's what we need to do. Jesus said, you take extreme measures. And you might think, okay, wow, I mean, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand. And when he's talking about extreme measures, don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to ask you to do something I did. 
I took extreme measures to cleanse you of your sins. I took extreme measures to show you that I love you. And he allowed himself to be scourged and beaten and spit upon, his beard pulled out, thorn and crowns put on his head, and he was put upon a cross. And he died the most incredibly cruel death imaginable with his blood being shed. And all of it was done so that he might be a propitiation, which means a substitute for us because we deserve, based on immorality and lying and anger and adultery, to be put on that cross. He took extreme measures so you and I would not have to be punished, so you and I wouldn't go to hell. And you know what we're saying today? You should take extreme measures never to ever put yourself in that position again based on your love for him, based on his love for you. And if you're here today and you've never entered into this relationship with him, you need to take extreme measures to get into it because there isn't one of us who are a part of this today who hasn't either lied, stolen, gotten angry, or lusted. We all have done it. And we ought to take an extreme measure to say, whatever, Lord, I need to do to put myself in your hands because I can trust you and you love me. We ought to do it. And you know what he says to us? Then what I want you to do is, is open up your heart to me and give your life to me and accept my love and accept my forgiveness and accept the life I have for you. That's a pretty extreme measure, isn't it? Saying, okay, God, now it's all yours. But I want to tell you, if you do that, then he's going to pour extreme love and extreme care and he's going to give guidance and provision. And that's his great desire for you. And if you've never done that, then I'm telling you, I'm begging you and pleading with you to think about this. Why would you not let a God who loves you so much that he's taken extreme measures to cleanse you and care about you? Why wouldn't you turn your life over to him? And how do you do it? Well, the Bible says you pray. And in a moment, we're going to go to a time of prayer. And if you would like to say yes to God and you've never done that before, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to whisper the prayer with me. And you are going to experience forgiveness and love like you never have before. I also want to say, though, there might be some of you who are Christians who right now, you deep down, you know you need to confess the sin. You need to say, God, I've gotten caught up of it. You, you need to quit justifying it and act like, okay, it's okay. Now I'm, it's time to say, okay, God, I want the cleansing. I want to be the such or some. I want to be so transformed it's not me anymore. And what I want to ask you to do, if that's you, if you need to recommit your life or you need cleansing in your life and you're a believer, I'm going to ask you to recommit your life to him right now. And if you're here and you're a person who's been wounded by this, I'm going to ask you to pray with us too for the healing so you're not the person who was hurt like that anymore. You're so cleansed and healed by God and you've overcome it so much that doesn't define you. And, and, and today, right now, we're going to pray. And if any of those are yours, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, I know that we're living in a world where people have been hurt by what we've been talking about. Some hurts are greater than others. Some are deeper than others. Some are more painful than others. And some who have been hurt by this don't even realize it, Lord, which almost makes it more scary. But God, I'm going to ask right now that your Holy Spirit move. And let it be in holy moment. So that we're aware of your love. We're aware of your presence. And God, it makes us not want to be a part of anything that's not holy and pure and loving and brings peace and joy and connection and healthy relationships. And I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move and touch every person who's in the theater right now or watching online. And God, right where they're sitting, I pray that you would stir and touch. 
for the person who's in pain and needs healing. Maybe because adultery caused a parent to turn and walk away and they never felt the same again. Maybe it's because of a spouse who's sitting here that wanted to be faithful and they were betrayed and hurt. And uh, Lord, it's not been the same. Maybe, Lord, it's the person right now who's in the midst of it or used to do it. And God, they just need to be set free and forgiven and cleansed so they'd never do it again. Maybe, God, it's someone who's sitting here right now and they know they've never physically carried out the action, but they have just spent time lusting. They've bought in magazines. They've gone online. They've done whatever they could. And God, I pray right now they realize and they know, no, they've got to stop. They don't want to do this again. And now it needs to be a cleansing. Maybe it's someone, Lord, who's been looking at another person, a friend of a friend or someone they work with or someone they're in school with, and they've been thinking about them and facilitating the thought, and God, it's just wrong. It's created an impurity in their minds that actually taints. And God, I pray they'd be set free. So we ask for your cleansing to come. We ask for your healing to come. And I ask right now that if someone needs healing or if someone needs to commit their life to you or someone needs to recommit their life to you, that your Holy Spirit will come upon them. And right now, God, they're going to want to do it. I'm going to ask.